Welcome to the Business Done Differently podcast, where we believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that standing out is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Jesse Cole, and it's showtime. Today's guest is a prolific writer and designer who fundamentally changed my mindset on business and scaling a business. His book, Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business, has been translated in 16 languages and first introduced the concept of better, not bigger, for businesses. In the past, he's worked with professional athletes Steve Nash and Shaquille O'Neal, as well as Microsoft and Mercedes-Benz. His work has been featured in USA Today, Fast Company, Vice, Wired, and more. He is a status quo fighter, amazing thought leader, and the definition of business done differently. Please welcome the legend himself, Paul Jarvis, to the show. Hello, hello. Paul, I am excited. All right, so I want to get you fired up on that intro because... When I first read your book, I was so fired up. I ran into our stadium and I said to our president's office, you need to read this. We can't keep worrying about scale, scale, scale. <laughs> we just need to focus on continuing and getting better. And it's a wow book. And I'm going to encourage every reader to get it. It'll change your mindset. But Paul, I know a little bit of your origin story, but I want to know where did the concept come up? Better, not bigger. Yeah, I mean, it started the way I think all business books start. I was out surfing with a buddy of mine. <laughs> but... So actually, that part is true. But I think for myself and for the business that I run, I like the work that I do so much that I wouldn't want to promote myself out of the job I like into a job I don't. Like, I don't want to be a manager of people writing and designing because I like writing and designing. Right. So from the very beginning, it was like, if I grow, I'm doing something that I don't want to do. And then the surfing thing is I was out with my buddy surfing this is many, many years ago now. And he and it was like September or so. And he was like, and we're sitting in the lineup waiting for waves. And he's like, oh, I've made about enough for the year. And this is September. And then he catches the wave and I'm just sitting there on my surfboard kind of bobbing up and down. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? Like, what just happened? And then he paddled back around and we started to talk about it. And he was like, well, I know how much enough is for myself and my business. Like, I know how much my business needs to make to cover its expenses, to pay me to put money in the bank for savings. If I made more than that, I would have to work more. I don't want to work more. I'd rather be out surfing with you. So, And I was like, this is how I've been running my business. But it hasn't been explained to me in this way until my buddy explained it to me. And I was like, that's awesome. And then, yeah, then I wrote an article about it many years later. And it became my most popular article that I've ever written. And I was like, I guess there's a book there. And I guess there's a book there that I now have to write. And so how did you have the discipline just to say enough is enough? I think that Edward Abbey said it best when he said that growth for growth's sake is the ideology of a cancer cell. Because when you think about it in terms of capitalism, you're like, oh, yeah, growth makes sense. If you're not growing, you're dying and all of that crap that business people spout. Right. But then if you think about it in terms of like that in terms of cancer or even in terms of like the planet has finite resources infinite growth doesn't make sense in any it just doesn't make sense we have finite things so for me it's always just been about yeah trying to figure out how i can maximize my freedom in business while still obviously generating revenue dude i think the point of business at least why a lot of people get into business is because they want more freedom in their lives not necessarily because they want growth or all of the growth or all of the money, right? Like that comes later when you think, oh, this is what a legitimate business is supposed to do. It's probably because of perception and ego. And because mm -hmm. you look at 
they measured Inc. 5,000 companies. And we were in that list two years ago. And I was like, well, what are we measuring? It's arbitrary. It's this number. And it actually takes away our freedom. It's still this kind of goes against the norm. How do you get people to actually embrace it and say, you know what? This is my number. I'm comfortable with this. And I guess a loaded question here, Paul, but if you have a team, like you have a full team of people, they all want to grow and you're not necessarily growing. Explain to me how that works. Yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to ego and perception, right? Like we need ego to start a business because our ego tells us that, hey, there's this existing market or there's this existing customer base. I can do better. My business can do better. So ego in that case, I think, is fundamentally good because you have a desire to do right by the people you're trying to serve with your business. Makes sense there. Where I think ego leads us astray is, well, other people might think of me in a better light if I have a bigger team or 16 offices or 36 employees in my 16 offices in 12 countries. But I think if we really think about it, like we all want to be valued by other people. That's nothing wrong with that. I wouldn't write books if people didn't read them and like them. It's just the way that it goes. But I think at some point we have to stop and think, okay, am I running my business in order to look good to other people? Or am I running my business because this is what I want to do and I'm trying to maximize freedom and profit at the same time, which doesn't always mean endless growth. So I think a lot of times it's just about, I think the problem is that we don't often ask why. So the second part of your question was about a team. If some people on a team want growth and some people don't, then maybe it's just a question of why is growth needed? How will this growth serve our business? How will this growth serve our customers? How will this growth serve our sustainability as a business in the long term? And maybe the answer is, yeah, we do need to grow in these specific ways. Nowhere in the book do I say, do not grow ever, (laughs) right? It's more just, well, let's take a step back. Let's think about this for just a second. And if we have a good answer, heck yeah, let's move forward. If we don't have a good answer, then hey, maybe we figured out what enough is. We don't stagnate, but we just figure out different ways of operating and have different goals for the business. Well, you said, you know, you need to change the focus from growth to better products, better experiences, better support, and more success for your customers. And I've always had a challenge with the word better. I always say you want to be the only, you don't want to be a little bit better. But if you're competing against yourself and making a better experience for your team, better experience for your customers, better experience for everyone you touch, usually the money, the success all becomes a byproduct from that. And with the companies that you've worked with, and I'm sure since this book came out, you're a sole proprietor. You hire freelancers, correct? But I'm sure you have companies that have 10, 20, 50, 100 employees be like, well, how do we do this? Yeah. yeah. And is is the answer still the same? Hey, just focus on creating a better product, a better experience. And growth usually comes after that. Yeah. And I mean, for bigger companies, it's harder to pivot. One of the reasons why I like having a small company is because like even yesterday, I just launched a new version of a software product I sell. A customer on Twitter was like, I can't believe your software doesn't do this. And I talked to my co-founder and we were like, that's actually a good idea. So we're like, I told the customer, okay, give us 15 minutes. (laughs) And then 15 minutes later, I was like, hey, our product can actually do this right Mm -hmm. now. So with a small business, you can pivot really fast. With a big business, if you do want to focus more on better and not have growth as a goal, have like you said, have growth as a byproduct of doing well then it can be smaller steps. It doesn't have to be, okay, let's take 15 minutes, change everything. 
and move forward with bigger businesses. Maybe it can be, okay, let's just start thinking about this critically and see what makes sense and what doesn't. And let's change one little thing. Yeah. See how that affects the business. If it's good, let's change one more thing and let's keep amping up. If something doesn't work, then okay, let's take a step back. Let's reevaluate and do something else. So I think with, with all of this, I think iterative is the key here to just take small, tiny, continuous steps to, to make things better. Mm. Well, you talk about speed. I mean, that's one of the things. Speed is everything in business. And if you can actually move quickly, like you said, you can make a better experience. And I think what you're doing here, Paul, is you're changing the conversation. When I get interviewed for a magazine or media, one of the questions I get asked is, well, how much revenue do you bring in? And my mindset is like, if it's 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, what does it matter? Like, the question should be, how do you make people feel? What is the experience you provide? Are you happy? Are your customers happy? Are your employees happy? That conversation needs to change. And I like how the best places to work. That's a better kind of gauge than how much money do you bring in? And so mm-hmm. I love this conversation. I think it needs to be had every day with businesses. And I want to go a few of these other points because I want to move around a little bit. A boring business versus a busy business, Paul. Now this, yeah. for me, you look at me. I Boring <laughs> <laughs> is like the worst word for me ever to hear. I am against boring in every way. But you make a point about boring. So tell me a little bit where this idea came from. Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole chapter on using your unique personality <laughs> in business. So I definitely yeah. appreciate the outfit. But I think the point on boring business is that it's really hard to sustain something at a sprint. That's why sprinters don't run marathons. Except for the guy who ran a marathon sub, I think it was like sub two hours last week. <laughs> yes. Blows my mind. But if for most people, it's very hard to sustain something at a rapid pace, right? So I've been in business for, this is my 20th year as of two weeks ago. And if I was going at top speed, busy, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle all the time, I would burn out. I don't know how I could mentally handle hustling all the time. So I think if busy is our default state, it's really hard to manage because it's really hard to be able to focus when we're stressed and anxious and busy all the time. So I'm okay in my business to be busy a little bit of the time. I just released a new version of a product. Those few days before and after we're busy. There's no getting around that because that's just the way that it is. Next week, not going to be busy. Next week is probably going to be more gym time than work time, just because that's how I recharge, right? So I think finding that ebb and flow of letting things be boring sometimes or letting things be, business is hard, man. Like if there are any ways that we can introduce ease into our business, then it's better. Taking breaks sometimes boring for me is Creating systems and processes, which as creative people, that's sometimes hard because we're like, this is going to stifle my creativity. But I think that it opens us up. If we have systems and processes in place to handle most things, then we have the ability to be creative and unique in other ways, right? So I think having things, it doesn't have to all be on and firing on all cylinders at all times. It can be a bit boring sometimes. And that's good for sustaining. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the mindset too, you're playing the long game. And I think comparing a marathon yeah. versus a sprint, yeah, there may be parts of the race that are sprints. But I mean, for instance, for your company, how often are you doing sprints like you just did? I have two courses that I launch twice a year per week. I usually have two or three major versions of software products come out. 
So maybe six times a year on busy. Yes. And for about a week. And then the rest of the year, I'm still working hard, but I'm just going at a pace that is sustainable. Yes. I'm not trying to run a two hour marathon as me, Paul, because I know that that's not going to happen. I might be able to keep up for the first 500 meters, maybe 300 meters, if I'm being honest. But then I couldn't, like, I couldn't keep that pace, right? So is the mindset like a starting point saying, all right, here's where our business is. It doesn't need to go to this level. Let's look at where it is right now. Do we have the freedom for our employees, for ourselves? Are we happy? And looking at that overall, is that like a starting point to just saying before a year, like, hey, everyone, we got to get double digit growth. We got to get this. We got to get that. Is it just kind of getting that starting point of we're good here? See, I have a fear, Paul. My challenge is I have a huge fear of settling. And I bet you a lot mm-hmm. of people you talk to, even yourself, a creative, you don't want to settle. So what's the balance between settling and building a great business? Yeah, and that's a que- that's a great question because I think a lot of people think that if you set a finite target, then if you reach that, you settle or coast. Like that would be a bad kind of boring for me, right? But for me, if you think about enough as like a finite target, then once you hit that, you're still working and challenging ideas and still doing different things. But your focus is more on retention than acquisition. So retaining the income, retaining the customer, making them happy, coming up with new and exciting ways to communicate with them. So in that case, I think it makes a lot of sense because it's not coasting. Your priorities have just shifted and you're still having to work a lot, but it's a different kind of work. Like for myself, I know my audience is at a size where I kind of know who a lot of them are. Like if somebody buys something from me, typically I recognize their email address. I'm like, Ah, that's a person that I talked to on Twitter or somebody that emailed me from a mailing list. I like that. Like, I like knowing who my customers are. So it wouldn't make sense for me to go after my mailing list is like 30 something thousand people. It wouldn't make sense for me to double that or 10x that because then I wouldn't be able to reply to everybody every Sunday when I email them. I wouldn't be able to get to know who some of these people are. Like, I wouldn't recognize them. I wouldn't be able to help them as well because... I would just be chasing more customers and more customers and more customers. And then I would lose that connection that I have. And that connection is what makes me money. Like that connection isn't just some hippy dippy thing that I like connecting with people. It's like that connection is directly responsible for the income that I generate. And that connection is what actually like literally gives you purpose in what you're doing. Like we need more connection. We need those relationships. I mean, if you're chasing new customers constantly, it's all shallow. And you had those deep connections like you do. I mean, you've been writing the same email for how many years? A Sunday uh, since 2012. 2012. Yeah, so eight years. You've been consistently taking care of your customers which and your people, which become fans. And I talk about this all the time. Customers are transactional. They come and go, but fans never leave. And every business should try to create fans for life. To do that, don't go chasing new customers. Focus yeah. on how do you care for your current customers even more. And I would argue probably, Paul, so many businesses are going out of business because they're chasing those shiny objects instead of focusing on the 10 people that have already bought from you. Yeah, because it's harder and more time-consuming to go after new people. I think that's what businesses don't realize. Like the nuts and bolts and the economics of it is it costs more and it takes longer to get new people than to just make the people who are already paying attention happy. Yes. You've already got their attention, so why not focus on those people? And keep giving to them. All right, we're going to do a game here, Paul. It's called Name That Number, okay? All right, right. so I'm going to give a a business fact. You've got to give that number, okay? So, okay. all right, what is the small business failure rate? So we're talking about this in the first year, 
how many small businesses fail in the first year? The stat came out just recently. I don't know. I wrote an article once about how most business stats are false. And there's a stat that everybody quotes from Fortune that's absolutely wasn't that there was no study done. This is not from Fortune. Okay. I would say (laughs) 60%. Only 20%. So one out of five. That makes me happier. All right. Yes. One out of five. I was super pessimistic there. So one out of five. What about after five years in business? Maybe 40%. Yeah. We're at 50%. And then after 10 years, this is where the number gets a little higher. 60. 70. Okay. So you were over three, but you were very close, Paul. So that just came out. So I struck out. Yes, you struck out. (laughs) But it's interesting. I would argue that what you're saying, if these companies didn't focus so much on growth, they focused on being better companies, better for their people, they wouldn't be falling so much. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, those stats, again, give or take a little bit, but I mean, they're probably pretty close when you think about it. Over 10 years of business, a lot of businesses do fail. And maybe it's because of a concept, we got to get bigger, we got to get bigger fast. Yeah, I mean, I have some stats as well. I think the somebody looked at, it was Kaufman that looked at the Inc. 5000 list. Yes. But five to eight years later and found that two thirds of them went out of business because they chased growth. And then the Startup Genome Project did a similar thing and found that I think 70 or 75% of them went out of business, not because of competition or bad products, but because of scaling too quickly. So it makes sense. You've been in your business now 20 years, correct, Paul? Yeah. And I'm guessing this. Now, we're not talking about growth, but I'm guessing that your income has been good or grown a little bit over the 20 years. Yeah. And it's grown. And it's made you probably have given potential more freedom, correct? Exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't this arbitrary number we got to get to here. It was like, this is where I am. And then probably each year you adjust a little bit. Is that correct? Yeah. And it doesn't. And because I know how much enough is, I know that I don't have to push harder and harder and harder. It's like, I find as well, like if you don't have, okay, this upper boundary seems like this is going to be like where I can maximize freedom, right? If we don't have that and we're just like, more is always better. Then it's like to keep with the running analogy, it's like running towards the horizon. We're going to get sweaty. We're going to get tired. We're not actually going to get there. I love one of these other points going into, you say outshare over outscale. I think that's really, you have to stand out and build an audience. You have to outteach and outshare the competition, not outscale them. I love this. I love this. I love this. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think a lot of times businesses are scared to share because they feel like, oh, every idea that I share is going to be stolen by the competition or like every single thing that I talk about is going to be taken the wrong way or everything that I do is going to be like basically taken by the competition or like used in some way that's going to hurt the business. Whereas I find that whatever I share is helpful. It makes me, even if it's bad stuff, I write as much of the dumb things that I've done in business as the good things that I've done in business. And it doesn't make people hate me. It just makes people think like, okay, well, he's just a human being doing his best in business and trying to make things work. And I find as well, like the teaching aspect of it, it is really what helps establish you as an expert. And the good thing is that anybody can teach anyone anything. You have to have a degree to teach in school for sure. All of my family are teachers except for me, which is funny because I've ended up kind of becoming a teacher on the internet. Yeah. But to teach like online courses or to write books or to even have a podcast, you can just be somebody sharing who's a few steps ahead of everybody who's listening. And that's You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to know a little bit more than somebody else and just be open to sharing it. It's a beautiful thing. Every brand, every company should be teaching, should be sharing. Because not only does it like 
It shows the journey, shows what they're doing, but it actually gets people to know the people behind the business. And I think if you really yeah. want to grow a brand, you got to know the people behind the business. When I read your book, it's like, all right, I like this guy. I'm getting to know this guy. And you want to be a part of it. You want to engage with it. And you know, I love you said, teach everything you know. Sell to people who want to hear from you and outshare what you know. And two years ago, Paul, I just started sharing our journey. I wrote 159 blogs before I was willing to put one out there. I was scared out of my yeah. mind. All right. And I yeah. was writing a book that was coming out three months later. But once I started doing and sharing every day, just like you on your weekly, but I committed to putting one thing every day, people come to me and book me and, and speak and do all this without ever once saying book me to speak. And yeah. it helps uh, spread out the brand and to show the brand like, hey, oh, wait, he's with the Savannah Bananas. This is what they're doing. I don't know why every leader doesn't commit daily or weekly to putting out content of what they're learning along the journey. And I don't know if you've seen any more examples of people doing this, but you want to be better? Teach. Because every time you mm -hmm. teach, you learn. And that helps your company grow as well. I don't know what your thoughts yeah. are on that. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think, I think smart leaders do that. Smart leaders do share as often as possible. I think that a lot of, especially in my scene as the tech world, the 37 Signals guys, David and Jason, yes. share and teach everything. And it's not like they're losing business because of it. They're gaining business because of it. They have had, I think, three or four book deals now yes. because they share everything they know. They've written their blog for the longest time. They teach workshops for how to run a business exactly like Basecamp. Nobody's going to copy Basecamp because you can't because they're already Basecamp. We're doing but the same thing. They're, yeah, they're happy to do basically that, and it only helps them. And they charge thousands of dollars for these workshops. They sell it every single time because people are keen to learn. We did the exact same thing. Last year, we started doing fans first experience workshops, teach people how to deliver the fans first experience. And it's like, we yes. love it because we're just teaching what we know and what we love and we're learning every time. And what's yeah. funny, and now the people that want to be in the room, the people that believe in what we believe in are with us and it gives us energy. Yeah. And so I, I couldn't agree more. All right, we're going to go another game, Paul. You ready? Yes. All right, this is going to be a weird one. Truth and dare. Which one do you want first? <laughs> Isn't it both? Oh yeah, it's both. So which one would you like first? Truth. All right, go truth. What's the biggest hardship that you've had to overcome in the last 20 years with your own business? Um, that's a good one because there's been a lot. I mean, I think probably it's every time something fails because – and it's especially hard when you've seen some success, when something you've done has ended up working out, and then you do something next that doesn't, and it's like – I don't have that magic formula dialed in. Do you have an example right? of something that stands out? I was like, wow, this was a tough day. Um, yeah, I mean, selling one of the software businesses that I built at a price that it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm like set for life kind of thing. It was just like, I think another business could do a better job at this than I'm doing. So like, I have to offload this at a bit of a deal. And it was like, I felt bad because the customers had bought that, had bought into that business and become customers because they knew that I was running it, that I was building it and everything like that. And I had to basically tell them all like, hey, look, this sucks, but I think somebody else will be better suited for doing this than I am. So I've got to let it go. That's tough. I'm guessing, did you learn from that? And we've had failures. People, I ask that question all the time. What are your biggest failures? I don't even think about them. Because I just move on. And I think that's part of the company, mm -hmm. just being a company that tries to get better. You're going to make, you're going to have failures. But people don't forget the failures. They remember the successes. They remember yeah. a company of one and how great that book was and the impact it made. No one knows, like, all right, you sold the business at a discount. You had to let go of something that you believed in. I mean, no one remembers that. So, I mean, yeah. is it kind of like the hardships for you? They're maybe tough in the moment, but you just move on. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like a batting average, right? Like, as long as I hit the ball more than I strike out, then I'm happy. No one remembers who struck out the most times in Major League Baseball. I had to look this up, and it was Reggie Jackson. (laughs) You know what they remember from Reggie Jackson? When he hit three home runs in Game 6 of the World Series and became Mr. October. That's what they remember. So I think yeah, exactly. All right, don't think you're getting away from the dare, okay, Paul? Okay, All right. Uh, usually we have people sing, but I'm not going to do that to you. We have a promotion at our game called Bananas Barnyard, where we actually have people, they have to act like animals, all right, on the field in front of 4,000 people. I know you're an introvert, but if you were to be an animal, what animal would you be and you have to act it out or make a noise because this is a podcast? I would be a rat because I've had rats for the longest time. So they don't make <laughs> noises that are perceptible to human ears, but they're just like, but there's been studies done that show that they make different squeaks when they're happy like if you're tickling them because rats love to be tickled or if they're scared there's actually a study that was published i think yesterday the day before that showed rats driving these little cars they studied like the hormones in their poop and found that they were less stressed out when they were driving these little cars that they could steer right left or forward than if they weren't driving them. So rats love driving. There's a fact that you probably didn't have. I am so blown away that you went there. (laughs) Not only did you act like a rat and you did make noise, that'll pick up. The fact that you said you have pet rats, the fact that you tickle them, the fact that you've learned studies about checking their poop, and the fact that you know they like to do these driving cars. Paul, I don't, this can never (laughs) be beat. I mean, this is where we just dropped the mic right here. I'm so glad you didn't sing because you just brought that, those facts into my life. So thank you for that. (laughs) The logo on my website is that little pink rat that I've That's, had for okay. years and years and years. Yeah. I was wondering what, okay, now it all makes sense. See, has anybody yeah. asked you to do a rat imitation on a show before? No, never. This is first time. <laughs> and probably the last time, which we do most <laughs> promotions at our games. All right. want to go to one other big point and finish with some rapid fire here, but exist strategy over the exit strategy. I love that. I love that. Obviously, Simon Sinek just came out with the book, The Infinite Game, which is the goal to keep playing, keep playing the game. Love that. Share with me kind of how you came to this mindset and what it looks like for businesses. Yeah, I mean, a lady named Natasha Lampart, I believe, wrote about this in a magazine on off screen years and years ago. And I always remembered that term exist strategy. And I was like, this is kind of the way that a lot of small businesses operate. And this is the way that businesses all used to operate. Business before we hit this hyper capitalism growth mindset were small, multi-generational and interconnected, right? Like they were small businesses in places where they all kind of work together in the community. And I'm like, this makes so much sense. The average life expectancy of a business on the S&P or on the index 500 is 15 years. And I'm like, I've got five years on most of those businesses. Like, yeah, in their heyday, they were making many more zeros than I'm ever going to make. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I sold a couple businesses. But like in my main business, like the me as a brand, as a product, as a business, like I don't, I can't, well, one, I can't sell that because nobody else can be Paul Jarvis. Yes. Thankfully. (laughs) But two, I like doing what I do. Like I like the business that I have. I want to keep finding ways to generate revenue and to make my people, my rat people, which I wrote an article about. That's like my second most popular article. Your rat, your rat, rat people. people. Okay. Yeah. But so I want to keep making my audience happy and keep giving them things that they can use in their lives, like books, courses, software, all of that. So I don't want to have the typical tech journey of like start a business, get funding, IPO, cash out. 
Like, I want to start small, keep it small, figure out what enough is, and then just keep going. Like, I like the work that I do. I like the people that I serve. I don't want to leave. I want to just keep existing and finding ways for myself and my audience to be happy. I love it. You wrote, be focused on sticking around, profiting and serving your customers the best you can. Your success can be measured by being profitable quickly as you stay small and build real relationships with your customers. I mean, it's the relentless, it's this theme. Just again, take care of your people, be happy. And I think, again, for many people, business owners, this should relieve stress. Instead of chasing arbitrary quarterly numbers, annual numbers, no. Like, how are we getting better? And we look every year at our ballpark. We've been fortunate now to sell out every single game. We want our fans to come in and say, it just keeps getting better. And that's the attention to detail. And like, I can't believe what they're doing. So that's, that's yeah. part of the focus. Um, I love this other concept. I'm going to keep rolling here. Feed the people who show up for your dinner. Yeah. Share with me that. That's so simple and makes so much sense. Yeah. I mean, a friend and a previous client and an absolute sage in business and life, Danielle Laporte, uh, when I was talking to her for the book, was talking about this idea of not trying to find people to come to dinner and ever expanding the table, but just like paying attention to the people who are there, paying attention to the people who are showing up, paying attention to the people who want to be there. And that's what we were talking about earlier. That's the retention over acquisition. And it just makes it just makes so much sense because like like you said, it's not, not a decrease in drive. It's a shift in focus on your drive. Like you guys are trying to you guys sell out. You are continuing to find new and interesting ways to continue to do so. But it's not you're not building more and more stands and more and more bleachers every single year. It's not gonna be some massive stadium next year. It is what it is. We don't even use the term sales anymore. Our salespeople are service people. And we don't have marketing people. We have experience people, ticket experience corner, group experience corner. It's about serving the people that we have. And so that hit home with me. And I just, I mean, I know we're, we're hitting it over and over and over again, but I hope everyone listening, it's like, hey, don't go to your salespeople and say, hey, how are we doing on new customers right now? How are we doing new acquisitions? How are we doing on serving the people that are already with us? And then yeah. they will buy more. I'm sure you have people that look, they buy every online course you do. Is that correct? Yeah, more than half the people buy more than one thing from me. It's amazing. It's so simple. I want to get into your schedule a little bit. I've heard you talk about single tasking, eliminating distractions, single tasking. Everyone in the world, oh, I'm a great multitasker. No, you're not. It's proven you're not. But single tasking, how do you eliminate distractions? And if you have to do a sprint or you have to get work done, what are you doing too? Yeah, it's about figuring out how to do the thing that you're doing and be present in that as opposed to trying to do all things at all times. So a lot of people are, well, Paul, I don't understand how you single task when you have two courses, two software products, a bunch of podcasts, a newsletter. And I'm like, fair enough. But I do those things one, like I do those things in sequence. So I focus on writing my newsletter. I usually will sit down, write four or five articles in one day, get them to my copy editor, like cue them up so I'm not stressed out about, oh no, it's sad. Like I never want to be in a position where it's like, oh no, it's Saturday night. My email has to go out at like, oh, it's 6 a.m. the next day. I don't want to be in that. That doesn't give me the space to be creative. Do one thing at a time. When I was writing the book, I wasn't even writing newsletters. I was just focused on the book. I got the book done from idea to first draft in three months wow. because I wanted to just focus on that. And what I found is we think that we can get things done faster if we multitask. We can get things done faster if we batch like processes. It sounds super, super nerdy, but I don't care because I'm a nerd. So if I sit down to write articles, say, or whatever the task is, if I sit down and write articles for myself, because that's what I do, 
the first one might take an hour because I'm kind of rusty. I might not have written articles for a couple weeks. I'm like, oh, that blinking cursor. Damn you, blinking cursor. Then I get it done. And then the next article, I get kind of into it. I'm like, this will take me like 30 minutes. Next one, 15. Next one, 15. And by the end of it, I've written four articles. And because I don't have Twitter open, I don't have my phone, I don't even know where my phone is. I keep it on Do Not Disturb. I don't know why everybody doesn't use Do Not Disturb at all times. I have zero notifications on any device other than if I'm expecting a call, my phone is on. Or if my wife needs to text me, my phone is on. But other than that, like my default is never disturb me ever. Doesn't matter what the software is, what the program is. If I'm on my computer, on my phone, on my watch, like nothing buzzes, rings, or vibrates because it's annoying. Can, and if it, I can it, just sit and work, yeah. I don't have things open on my computer either. Like If I'm writing an email, I don't also have Twitter open. Mm-hmm. If I'm in Twitter, I don't have email open or my writing program open. If I'm in Twitter, I'm in Twitter, and that's it. Oh, this is and so then smart. I finish and move on. It's so smart. You see, and I've, I've been guilty of it. I have like 12 tabs open up another tab. Now the people that have two computers <laughs> at once, I've seen one person with three computers. I'm like, what are you doing? Whoa. Over a year ago, Paul, I took email off my phone and took all social media off my phone. And I am so much happier. I don't clutch my phone. It's made such a difference. And you know what? I still reply to emails. Yeah. They get Your business to hasn't failed and died. Nothing happened. Um, I think that's great. I think that's something people can take on how do you do this? How do you focus on getting better? You get present. You single task on what you're doing. You're not trying to do so many things. It's obvious, but people need to hear it over and over and over again. Deets about the tweet. It's a new game here. Deets about the tweet. You're a big tweeter, all right? You've got quite a following there. But you wrote, working for yourself doesn't mean you have to work by yourself. In other words, other people help us, help make us better. Yeah. Obvious. Can you elaborate any more on that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times when people say, see like, oh, that guy wrote the book Company of One. Like, you must work by yourself for yourself. And it's like the point of the book isn't that you're a one-person company. Yes, It's that you figure out what can be the best at the smallest size and then grow when you need to. Like, my business isn't a one-person company. I have an accountant, a bookkeeper, a copy editor, a podcast editor, four partners, and probably a couple other people I can't think at the moment, right? So, and I think as well, a lot of times when... We're the type of person that knows that we could do well working for ourselves. We're the type of person, I'm guilty of this as well, that thinks that we can solve all our own problems. And I think talking to other people professionally or otherwise can be really helpful. Like I've been in a little group with a couple people who do similar work than I do for probably five or six years. We talk once a month. We call each other on each other's BS and we work through problems together. And that's immensely helpful. Yes. Right. So, yeah, you don't have to work by yourself if you work for yourself is, yeah, is something that I struggle with, but I know is really important. Well, you're not alone. And isolation is huge right now. Mm-hmm. And struggles with that. But you're doing with others. You just It's a different way that you break it down, which I love. I know you made this as a joke, but the pin tweet you have right now, 80% of success is just showing off. And I know it's <laughs> supposed to be showing up. But there's actually... <laughs> <laughs> there's actually some truth to that because I've read a lot about, and this sounds crazy, obviously the guy in the yellow tuxedo, but there's very few successful people that haven't in one form or the other self-promoted and not to be like ashamed of it because if the way of promoting yourself is helping others, not to be afraid of it. So you did that as a joke, I'm guessing, but is there any kind of a truth or fact to why you put that up there? Yeah, no, there's definitely. So I think the the interesting thing is that those people who shouldn't be promoting, who are just selling a dream or slimy or 
just like snake oil salespeople, they never have a problem with promoting. The only people that have a problem with promoting are the people who are doing things that are useful and valuable, right? And it's like, why should we not promote, right? And so I think that for me, marketing is building trust through communication with other people. That sounds fun. Like, I don't need to have like, bye, 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 and like big flashing blinking buttons on my sales pages. My most successful in terms of revenue sales email, because basically all I do is email marketing. The most successful email that I ever sent that generated the most revenue had a buy now graphic, but the graphic wasn't like a button with all those arrows. Everybody's seen those with like all the arrows pointing to them from every direction because you wouldn't recognize the blinking button unless there were arrows. I don't understand it. But mine was a picture of my rats. And I was like, if you want to buy one of my products, Creative Class, click on this picture of my pet rats. Love it. Best converting for revenue email I've ever sent. Yeah, it's fun too. My biggest mentor, P.T. Barnaby, said, Something terrible happens without promotion. Nothing. Yeah, that's, exactly. the, you know, that's the whole quote. All right, let's go a little fast here. Marketing minute. You just said your best sales email, but what's the, the best thing you've done to grow your brand? Constant communication. The weekly newsletter. email. Yeah, weekly newsletter. Love it. Love it. All right, flip the script, Paul. You are now the host of Business Done Differently, and you can ask me one question. Why bananas? <laughs> We chose that name, the Savannah Bananas, because at that point, my wife and I were sleeping on an airbed. We had to sell our house. We were struggling. We sold one ticket. We had to go dramatically different. There was no team named after a fruit. And you talk about a brand. We came up with a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. Our mascot was split. A male cheerleading team called the Mananas. I mean, we throw bananas from the top deck. People catch them in their pants. It's called Banana in the Pants. Banana beer, frozen bananas. Banana, I mean, it's we can have a lot of fun. Go Bananas is our whole theme. So... Again, whatever is normal, do the exact opposite. And you fought against normal. Like the normal is grow, 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 grow. And when you go the other way, you get even probably that polarization. You probably get even the stronger following. And we have diehard fans that wear bananas gear all over the world. And it's the same kind of mindset. You guys are like the Marmite of baseball. (laughs) (laughs) We've heard a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, no, it's it's honestly what we do as a circus. We are not baseball. You're a business who's like anti-business. Yeah. And I think that's, we're a baseball team that's anti-baseball. And I think that's, I love that. I love being polarizing to extent because then you become nothing to no one, you know, if you just kind of be like everyone else. So thank you yeah. for that question. Now, I'm going to ask you another question. You, this is question time. If you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. So what are some of the best questions you are asking these days? Whether it's uh, clients, whether it's people you're working with, whoever. Yeah. I mean, how much is enough? How will I know when I get there? And what will change if I do? Mm. What are some of the answers that, you have from that? Uh, well, basically, I think that if we don't ask those, because I think the, the problem is that in the beginning of a business, you need growth, 100%. You have to go from zero to something. If you never ask yourself questions like that, you never, you just keep chasing more. You just keep running at the horizon, right? So in asking those things, I can be like, okay, my revenue actually right now is good for the rest of the year. Like, let's focus on some deep work projects that could take a year or two to come to fruition, Cause I'm good. Like I've got enough to do what I need to do in my life for my family right now. So let's work at other things now and see if they pay off in the future. Or it could be, I actually do need a bit more money. So I do need to like put out a couple more things at this moment. Love it. All right. Tool time. What's the most important tool you have in your business toolbox? Being able to write words on a screen. <laughs> You're writing and you write every day, correct? Almost. Okay. Yeah, probably almost every day. That's the thing that I do the most in my business. I love creators. It's a huge part of my life. So I'd love to go into 
some favorites, a favorite part of your morning routine. You know, do you have a creative morning? Is it your night? How do you start the day? Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And then everything else. Typically, yeah, I have a coffee and then I answer emails because I feel like I know there's a lot of people who are like check email like after you've had a couple hours. It's like I'm kind of stressed because I don't know what's in there. So I just want to bang through that, get it done typically 30 minutes and then move on to, okay, what's the one or two things I need to accomplish today? And if I accomplish those, I feel good. Probably answer a couple more emails, then I'm done. And that's how you turn everything off. So when you start to create, I think the big key here is if you're a creator, if you're trying to put out good work, you turn everything else off. You relentlessly say no to anything coming in. And is that part of like, you will batch time. It's like, I'm going to create right now. Yeah. And be freaking reasonable as well. Like I can't put write a book on my to-do list (laughs) and feel good about that. I could put like write a summary for one chapter. And it's like, I'm always looking for what I can do to feel accomplished in a day because most of my projects are years, Mm. right? Like it's not like, I can finish something today and I'm done and I can move on to another new different thing. Mm. It's like every day is just a tiny incremental step towards something much bigger that's probably happening far in the future. So what can I do that makes it feel like I've accomplished something? Because accomplishment builds momentum. Yes. And keep playing the game. Just keep playing the game. Keep getting those at bats. What's a book that stands out for you? Maybe similar subject Deep. or similar idea on how to produce great work. Deep work. Calendly Port. I read it every single year. So, oh, so you read it again and again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've read it a bunch of times since wow. whenever it came. I read it when it came out, and I've read it every year since. Oh, wow. Outstanding. All right. Here are the final four. What is one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? Rats. All right. It's this true. rat obsession. How has that helped you stand out in business and in life? I mean, you mentioned, I guess, in the emails and branding it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, before the uh, growth article, I wrote an article about finding your rat people where I basically said that 99% of the world dislikes rats. 1% of the world loves them, finds them good pets, and they're united, and there are message boards about pet rats and what they should eat and how to tickle them and all of that, and the rest of the world doesn't matter because they don't care. They're never going to. Okay. So the same with our business. We need to find our rat people, our 1%, the people that matter, the people that want to pay attention, the people that we are going to get value from that are going to get value from us. Everybody else doesn't matter. I love that. When I go through the airport, I'm going to give a speech in a yellow tuxedo. I know... A huge percentage of people are going to write me off and say, this guy is a looney tune. He's crazy. What is he doing? But there'll be a few people like, all right, I'm intrigued. What's this about? And I think that's the same concept. Like, don't be afraid to stand for something. Yeah. I mean, I'm tattooed from head to toe. And most people think I'm like some like gangbanger. But like, if you look at my tattoos, they're all funny animals wearing silly costumes. So it's not actually like I don't have hard tattoos. How many rat tattoos do you have? I think six, seven rat tattoos. Yeah, quite a few. I have seven yellow tuxedos, so we got that in common, all right? I love it. All right, so other than rats, what advice would you give to someone to stand out in business and in life? Don't be afraid to take off the mask of professionalism or how you're supposed to do business. Just be you. It's easier, too. It's way easier. I'm not smart enough to be somebody else. (laughs) So it's just straight up easier. Paul, I am so happy you said that. I've done so many videos, so many posts about professionalism being overrated and being weird wins. And because it's the truth. No one goes home and says, I met the most professional guy today. Oh, you know what? I worked (laughs) for the most professional company. No, they talk about the unique. They talk about the fun. They talk about the weird. So thank you for giving that advice. All right, final two here. What's some of the best advice you've received? Probably the advice from my buddy when I was surfing. Like, I figured out what enough is. I'm good. That uh, blew my mind. still blows my mind. Oh, so simple. All right. A final here. How do you want to be remembered? Ah, 
somebody is helpful. Like that drives me. It's like, I don't care about more. I care about mattering and not even mattering to everybody, just to a couple people. I'd rather my legacy be my work than me anyways. I don't really want to be remembered, but ideas that I had or things I shared, I'd rather those things be remembered. Well, you've helped a lot of people, my friend. Like I said, you made a huge impact on me. And you know, one of the quotes too, I think I want to leave people with, build your business around your life, not the other way around. And I think more people need to look at that, especially as we get into the craziness and everyone's working harder and hustling, hustling. Just take that mindset. And I'm so excited to share this on this season because I think everyone needs to think about this and really engage in what you're saying. Because Paul, you've helped a lot of people. You're helping more every single day. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Business Done Differently, where we believe whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. And that standing out is the best way to grow your business. For more information about the guest and topics covered on this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com or shoot me a note at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.